RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. All right, Tuesday, Tech Tuesday, and Stephen Sykes joins me again after two sessions on AI. We're done with AI now, aren't we? Stephen, we're not going to be talking too much AI this this time round, I hope. Just maybe just a little bit. Um, we might okay. uh, reapproach the subject again in the future, but I think for now we can we can certainly talk about other stuff. Uh, interesting, uh, you going through that um, document, that WEF AI New Zealand, whatever it was called, that big long name uh, document, sort of picking apart some of the pieces. I think um, quite a few people found that really interesting to to listen to and us sort of <laughs> having a go at it. Uh, what sort of feedback on that have you had? Well, it did elicit some emotional responses, to be fair, uh, as you would what, expect. like crying? <laughs> Tantrums? Uh, stronger stronger language, uh, not, yep. not, not fit for radio. Um, right. But uh, somebody did write in with a further example of uh, bias that applied to AI. You know, I talked about how um, there was the Amazon uh, issue where they oh yeah with the, with the um the AI recruits. and uh, recruiting yeah 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 um and somebody had had written in with an example where they had um, racial bias for identification of criminals but of course you know that's another example where the system was trained with existing data and the biases already existed it's just the AI system um, made it um, come to light for um, for one of a better phrase. Well, to, well, well, to make that were already there. To make it less biased, you'd have to have a lot more information. Then, where are you going to get that information from? Because, um, you know, who owns it? Um, how do you get hold of it? And at that sort of scale, you, you sort of need a library of everything, almost. Well, you might recall last time I mentioned um, syn- you want synthetic data, so you create the data that you want it to actually be on. So you, you want to have something that's true and co- correct because if you're getting it to look at existing data, then there could be biases that you're not consciously aware of until the system shows it up. And it might not be um, showing up these biases immediately. It's only after a period of time that you start to think, gee, this this these decisions that's being made by AI are incredibly biased why is that happening? And then you have to go and look back as to how it was trained. Yeah. Well, let's say, um, you know, uh, someone put a, a question into one of these fancy things, you know, about me or about you. And it's turned out that, um, you know, our, all our data has been scraped from anything that's available or been sold, right? Because people, you know, can ca- gather the metadata and all of that on sell it to an AI provider who can then use that information to give us their AI opinion of who we are. Funny you should say that because just recently the um, Sam Altman and OpenAI are being sued for vacuuming up vast amounts of private data in oh, order so to doing win just the that. arms race. Doing, doing just, just that. that. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So hmm. you, you've got to wonder how did things like ChatGPT get so good? So where did what did it learn from? What did it learn yeah. from? So the um, the allegations are more on the fact that um, where it got the information from. 
Yeah, well, because you could buy that information from information sellers, couldn't you? Or you could scrape it yourself, I suppose. Well, it's the, it's the scraping that's the issue. It's the way they went about getting this. This is from even including chats that people have had over Microsoft Teams or even um, Slack, if you're aware of that. So it sort of comes under the Computer Fraud and Abuse um, Act in the USA, which is it's an anti-federal law. Um, and this was just after, you know, uh, just the other month uh, that Sam Altman went to Capitol Hill and said that, hey, we need AI regulation. Um, so the lawsuit does focus on on how OpenIA got the guts of the products in the first place. And Microsoft are, again, wrapped up in this because they have been reported to have invested somewhere between 10 to $13 billion in ChatGPT. And then soon after having made such an investment, Microsoft allegedly scrapped their entire ethics and society team. Oh. Who, and their job was to ensure that the technology was safe to use in the first place. That tells you all you need to know. Um, Sam Altman going to Washington and um, and making the case that you just mentioned. Well, it's a bit late for that because he's already done it. Yeah, and 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 now that now the Japanese have gone all in and said that copyright doesn't apply to AI training. Okay, but um, that that might not be as simple as it sounds because is that in their jurisdiction or or well, well yeah, already anything? Yeah, the reason I've done that is because the Japanese also have ambitious plans to become a leader in in AI stuff. Okay, and, well, having another go. <laughs> I mean, and and despite the fact we said we weren't going to talk about AI, we just did. <laughs> yeah, we did. I I came. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> I came up with a new one, and that's NI. Heard of NI? No intelligence. Yeah, that's the one. I, I, just, I wasn't the first to think of that, was I? Oh, I'd never heard it before. I just oh. worked it out. So now I, yeah, I, I've created that category in my head now and i can think of a few people who fall into that under that heading ni i can think of more than just a few well <laughs> some high profile names in this country anyway all right yes okay so planned obsolescence this is an interesting one now this is this is where what um when the product is created there's a planned point at which obsolescence sort of kicks in or is this something that's just a natural cycle of, of things, or is it a mix of both? Yeah, it's, it's all of that and more. Um, and this is an interesting uh, term, which actually has origins going back to the 1930s. Um, oh. There was a guy called Bernard London who in 1932 wrote a, um, a pamphlet, although it's more like a white paper. It was called Ending the Depression Through Planned Obsolescence. And ah, right. I'll, I'll, I'll read a little bit of it because some of the stuff in here, um, I feel, has certain themes towards certain conversations that are going on today. Can so, you do it in a 1930s voice? You know, like, okay, you know, muffled, <laughs> like you're behind one of those old microphones. I could, uh, I think no. the best I could do is stick a peg on my nose. Uh, no, no, just go, go with your normal voice. Yeah, right. Um, so Bernard writes, Frank V. Vanderlip, former president of the National City Bank of New York, 
characterized this as a stupid depression. He emphasized the fact that millions were suffering amidst glutted markets and surpluses. The new paradox of plenty constitutes a challenge to revolutionize our economic thinking. Classical economics was predicated on the belief that nature was niggardly and that the human race was constantly confronted by the specter of shortages. The economist Malthus, writing in 1798, warned that the race would be impervished by an increase in population, which he predicted would greatly exceed gains in the production of foodstuffs. However, modern technology and the whole adventure of applying creative science to business have so tremendously increased the productivity of our factories and our fields that the essential economic problem has become one of organizing buyers rather than that of stimulating producers. The essential and bitter irony of the present of the present depression lies in the fact that millions of persons are deprived of a satisfactory standard of living at a time when the granaries and the warehouses of the world are overstuffed with surplus supplies which have so broken the price level as to make new production unattractive and unprofitable. Primarily, this country and other countries are suffering from disturbed human relationships. And he goes on and on and on and on and on. So okay. Yeah, that was like looking into a crystal ball. It was a bit, um, but at this, but this is the idea that in order to um, stimulate um, future sales, and yeah. the, whole, the whole point of it is to produce to, to stop stalling of of activity, basically. Yeah. So you know, back in those days through the depression, um, people hung on to what they had and made it last longer. Um, because otherwise you'd needed to spend money, which, you know, and, and every penny counted um, back then. So the whole idea is to, you know, get long-term sales by reducing the time between repeat purchases. So Wasn't that the whole concept of the New Deal of FDR? Was it FDR? Where a part of that was just, you know, going all out for as much manufacturing, industrial manufacturing as possible whether you need it or, or not. And that was, I think, um, pump-primed by the federal government and state governments. And that's what got, I mean, it always helps to have a war as well, but yeah. that's what got the crank handle turning again, you know, that new products were being produced and sort of new wealth created, and that could then be used to kickstart that cycle again, which has run up until now. Is that what you're going to say, up until now? Something I, happening at the moment? No, I think it, it, it's still going on, but um, planned obsolescence happens in ways that you aren't necessarily aware of. Um, um, and it, it can be difficult to, to know when it's happening to you based upon the product you've got and what's happening to it. So th there's a whole, you know, bunch of, um, <clears throat> bunch of uh, ways this happens, like... Um, you know, going going back to the early 1900s again, um, in 1924, the American car market hit saturation point. So um, a, an executive at General Motors suggested that they uh, review their models every year and tweak the designs a wee bit to convince car owners to get to buy a replacement. Of course, yeah. Facelift, yeah. facelift yeah, models. That's it. So... Um, Smaller players who were smaller at the time, like Ford, 
uh, couldn't keep up with the expense of the annual design refresh, so GM dominated. And um, Henry Ford had, because um, being an engineer, he had a different view on on things that pe- things should be, just be simple and work. Yeah, well, that's not going to earn you much, is it? <laughs> in oh, the face, <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. You don't care if they break down in a year if you're trying to cycle them over a short period of time. In yes. fact, that helps, right? Yes. So it sort of it um, it creates um, one of the the uh, versions, if you like, of obsolescence is the perceived obsolescence when the desirability or um, the style um, uh, obsolescence occurs when designers change the styling of the product so it tries to set uh, trends and people like to keep up with the Joneses. Um, They do. They do. And Apple can be fairly bad at this. Um, They release a model of a phone. And then a little while after that, they produce the same phone, slightly tweak the model number, but you can buy it in gold or rose or something like that. And under the bonnet, it's the same phone. Yeah, yeah. But totally. but, peop- but people have um, are so suckers into brand Like, loyalty. I must get that. I must have that at all costs. Yes. It's because- gold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but nothing else is different. Nothing else is different. It's it's uh, it, it's interesting the human psychology around this. If if you look at it, um, it's I think a, a little bit of FOMO, fear of missing out because yeah. it's there. Yeah. I must have it. Um, and you know, it's, it's not just Apple. It's it's um, you know all the car manufacturers. Well, actually, I was thinking of year. cars because I've owned a few models of cars over the years. And one thing you notice if you're driving a particular car, and it's X amount of years, you know back down the line of facelifts it looks pretty clunky compared to the yeah. the more modern facelifted versions and that in itself is you can just imagine you know again fomo or keeping up with the joneses or oh my honda looks so old now it's still only three years or four years old <laughs> yeah it's got it's got square and straight line rather than rather than curved sexy um angles on it and it doesn't have the Wi-Fi connection or the Bluetooth connection. Excellent. Yeah, I, yeah. So I, I, I can't say I'm a terrible fan of what they've done to the modern design um, of muscle cars. You know, when they've taken the old design and sort of made it look modern. It, yeah. They to me look like they've had the equivalent of one too many cream-filled donuts, and they've gotten mm-hmm. chubby and fat. Bloated. Yeah. Bloated. Yeah. Um, I think Toyota. And Volvo, in my experience, have done that because there used to be the old Toyota Land Cruiser, you know, the the really yes. early ones, you know, um, like sort of almost pre-Barry uh, Crump advertising when yes. he was doing that. And I think they they brought that back substantially looking like that. And also Volvo, I've got a V70 station wagon year 2000, and um, that was um, that was – you know, the production of that ended. And then they realized, um, um, Volvo realized that they were really popular. And also that um, the they built such a good car, these, the older ones were lasting too long, so they brought out a new version. Yes. You know, well, that was about five years after they stopped production of the original one. And that sold really well and, and has been, it's still in production today with, you know, like you say, more curvy edges and that sort of thing, but substantially still there. So that, that's, those are the two I'm aware of. I'm sure there's more. Well, when when um, Japanese car makers entered the US market, um, 
Japanese cars had um, a reputation of being more reliable. So the Americans then had to improve the reliability of their vehicles in order to compete. Yeah, yeah. It took them a while, though. Yeah, I, I think it was that happened like in the seventies when Japanese vehicles had the longer lifespans and yeah, sixties yeah, and seventies. Well, if you look at some of those early Japo cars, like the Mirages and the Galants, remember the Galants, mm-hmm. and and you see and the Tredia. Oh, that was a tragedy. Um, and you see the odd one still, and I saw an old Corolla the other day. Someone driving around an old Corolla. We're talking about early eighties, maybe even late seventies. Boy, they look old now. They really do. Back in the day, it was like, whoa, these look sort of new. <laughs> and if and if you find a good one today, it's worth a bomb. Yeah, it was like the old HQ. I've had two Holden HQs, and I <laughs> was talking to someone recently who knew someone who'd sold one for 40 grand. Yeah. I should have hung on to the, that Belmont and that Kingswood. Anyway, that's another story. <laughs> so also planned obsolescence is a technology thing too, right? You get a an innovation like a chip that runs – twice, three times the speed, you know that you can do more applications, the thing's more capable instantaneously. You're going to bury the old model, aren't you? Yeah, so that that would be um, potentially called um, programmed obsolescence. So you might get some notification combined with um, an artificial disabling of a product to prevent it from working, which makes you have to go out and buy another one. Um, inkjet cartridges for in, in printers so uh, they can after a certain time and uh, i think hp got in trouble for this um if the ink cartridge has been used to um through pr- um, print a certain number of pages or if it's a certain age then it might decide that okay i'm actually empty because i have chips in there in the car oh they might not be empty them. There might not be envy. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Jeez. Yes. Um, So, again, you've got to go out and buy another one. That's a scam. That whole thing's a scam. Well, you should say, yeah, because in 2021, Canon disabled the scanning function of their Pixma MG6320 all-in-one printer. So if an ink cartridge was run out of ink, it also disabled the ability oh, to scan. Oh, that is naughty. It is naughty. It, it um, ended up... Uh, that is so naughty. It but, is but very brilliant, dubious. but naughty. Yes, it is so naughty. And a class action suit got filed about it. And Canon's response was a bit naff. They said that the um, it was to do with the preserving of the device because the ink from the cartridge has also had a cooling effect on the print head. But like, okay, uh, but I want to scan, not print. Nothing to do with it. Nothing, yeah, it's got nothing to do with it. Try and blind them with science. That's what yeah, they're trying to do. And you also have this problem with batteries. There was a guy um, who had a IBM Lenovo laptop and bought an aftermarket battery for it. Right. And it, it was some Chinese reproduction uh, battery, and the laptop didn't want to accept it. So not to be um, prevented from this, he decided to hack the laptop and modify the laptop's firmware, and he did a presentation um, in 2017 Hobart, and I watched this guy's talk. Um, this was at the linux.conf.au conference in Hobart, 
He, it was one of the most popular talks of the entire conference where he demonstrated how he went about um, hacking the laptop to accept the battery. Um, oh, so yeah. it, was, yeah. it was quite fascinating. But, you know, most people go, oh, I've bought a battery that I can't use. I will go and buy um, the official one and pay handsomely for it. Yeah, yeah. Unless you, you know, know a bit more. Yes. But that's going to be 99% of um, of everyone. I was just thinking also another – well, no, this works against kind of planned obsolescence because I thought back in the day that it would work as it normally does. Vinyl records, mm -hmm. CDs come along. Mm -hmm. It's undeniable how much better they sound, right? So you think, okay, records are going to be buried. Cassettes will be buried for sure. And didn't they even have laser discs? But that's that's getting on to something else. That's more video. Yes. And for a for a while there, for a few years, records sales obviously went right off the map, and CDs were everything, and 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 they were fantastic quality CDs compared to the average record. Most people just had a record player at home, right? They didn't have super hi-fi gear, and that's what you need to get, and you need a good pressing of the record. And, you know, that varied a lot back in the day to get any decent sound out of it. But then, funnily enough, vinyl then starts to make a comeback. Mm. So that planned obsolescence or that obsolescence that you that one just automatically thought, yep, that's going to happen, definitely with cassettes. I mean, cassettes haven't come back, have they? But vinyl records came back. And that, that sort of swims against the, the current, that one. It does, and I think for a lot of people, there's nostalgia to be had. Well, watching something go round and round on a turntable. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, the obvious thing with CDs that you pretty much got the same audio experience, but you also had the advantage you could walk around with it. It's hard to walk around with a record player. I suppose, yeah, yeah. Do they ever make a portable like a, you know, a... a, a Turntable Walkman? I don't think so. It'd be impossible, wouldn't it, with all the <laughs> Too much vibration? vibration. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The old needle would be jumping out of the groove just with any sort of movement. But no, no, there no, are people, there are people though, who doggedly hang on to the vinyl sounds more natural and better than the digital. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think? Well, um, I wouldn't call myself an audio buff compared to to many, but you know, everyone, most people have always said that records sound better than than cds um i recall back on it might have been 1990 an episode of um beyond 2000 if you remember oh, that TV yeah, program. I remember that beyond 2000 seems so quaint doesn't it well we certainly have gone well beyond there um i think it was phillips made this machine that played uh cds and Apparently, it was discovered well after they had created the CD audio format. For those who want to know, the CD CD format is, uh, what is it now? It's 16-bit signed linear stereo with a sampling rate of 44.1 kilohertz. They um, discovered that the frequencies that you can't hear affect the ones that you do hear. So this machine that Philips made was supposed to artificially recreate the experience of listening to your vinyl records by introducing frequencies that oh, might right. have otherwise um, been there for um, a record. Okay, I wonder if anyone noticed. I think there's something in that. I think that comes into the fidelity 
area of the sound. But I got to say, I've been playing records, thousands of records back in the day on music radio when we used to have records. And that was all with good gear, you know, mm. you know funded by the taxpayer. Um, so as uh, turntables, tone arms, preamps, the whole thing, as good as you could get. There's no comparison to, a comparison to the clarity of a, you know, a, a published CD of the same thing. The, the digital is far superior. Most people's hearing, I reckon, can't perceive it. Well, vinyl has a kind of grungy undertone to it. You can almost hear the grind of the needle in the in the groove. If you've got sensitive ears like me. <laughs> I guess there's also the whole experience of sliding the record out of the um, the packaging. Yeah, then, you'd have to be pretty desperate and, to get your jollies from that, though, wouldn't you? Well, I'm sure people do. You know, Actually, and, there's an art to that. There's an art to how you do that. And I guess you've got to do the sniff test. You have to sniff the vinyl. Yeah. And, of course, there's the uh, sleeve art that there's no space for on a CD. So, no, okay, there's tactile things. But in terms of the listening, mm. you know, I mean, I used to like the sound. I know we're getting off track a bit, but I used to really like the sound of AM radio with music, even though it's horrible. It was only like, what, nine kilohertz bandwidth or something like that, even less. It was about double of a telephone line. But if you put the right um, audio tools on it to process it, it sounded great. Mm. <laughs> but an audio file would, would collapse, you know, listening to it now. But anyway, we're off... Um, we're off base a bit, though. Any even FM radio is obsolescent now. Well, look at us. <laughs> yeah, we're the new thing. We're the new thing. But we'll even we'll probably go obsolescent because we'll be replaced, you and I, by some sort of AI thing that scraped all our details and can uh, reproduce our personalities without us having to be there. Well, I've always said you can't. There's never enough for me to go around. Well, okay, Here's an idea. <laughs> Sell your voice sample, and you know, and people can then use that to, and you can front it. You get the royalty um, clip on that. That's what I've been thinking about. Non fungible um, NFTing my voice. Mm-hmm. I'm giving people too many ideas, and I'm hogging time. Okay, so let's continue with um, uh, obsolescence. So space we- shuttle versus uh, Falcon. Sorry, what? Space Shuttle versus Falcon. I'm thinking of SpaceX, you know. Oh, yes, of course. I mean, he's landing them on the launch pad now, so all the other ways of doing it are gone. Yeah. So are the other um, ways that planned obsolescence can occur, you can have the prevention of repairs, so you can stop something from being made or, or it's really, really hard. So you've got things like disposable cameras. That's a naughty um, one. It is, and you can use um, substandard parts and things. <laughs> on purpose. On purpose, like in, in uh, washing machines, for example, you know, using crappy bearings, um, maybe water pumps that fail and or plastic parts that crack and it's not easily repairable. Although that said, um, apparently the Consumers Institute of New Zealand stipulates that a manufacturer must supply parts for at least five years after a particular model mm. of anything has dis- been discontinued off the shop floor. But five years isn't long. Well, no, I mean, like, 
I um I remember I'm just trying to think now. I could have been four, I could have been five. About then, I recall my parents um and we had a Toyota Land Cruiser, it was grey. Um we went and bought a second-hand chest freezer, and this is a decent-sized chest freezer. You could easily fit a few bodies in it without having to, you know, just lie, you lie down in there. Good for preppers. Good for preppers, absolutely. Um, we bought it second-hand, and this thing still goes. It's still in daily use now. Uh, my parents also have a pressed cold um, brand fridge and it still works the plastic shelf in the very bottom on the door is beginning to crack but apart from that these things just keep going i know the motors use a bit more energy compared to a modern version but that came out of an era where things were were made better yeah yeah more durable longer lasting yeah my father had a dryer that he had for like 40 years yes and it just made a hell of a lot of noise that was the only thing but it, it always worked, and I was uh, amazed at how long it lasted. You wouldn't get that these days. No, no. They don't wouldn't. want you to have that. <laughs> no, because you need to go buy another one. Must be a lot of redundant um, washing machines and dryers in the world. Well, you know, there was a guy, um, now I think it was uh, older washing machines, uh, you could make a uh, turbine, um, a generator, and create your own electricity for um, using these motors out of older washing machines. Oh, right, yeah. So yeah. you could, yeah, if you had a stream going past your house, you could have these things turning with an impeller and make your own electricity. Rappers again. But I don't think that necessarily applies to um, the modern machines. They must, uh, uh, when, the, when, when they design the uh, components of that machinery, they must put them through um, sort of endurance tests so they can figure out exactly where the point is that they can rely on that it'll crap out and you'll go buy another one. Yeah, so they have like a thing called mean time between failure. So if you've designing your product at last for X number of years, you need to take into account how many, uh, what percentage uh, might fail, what it's going to cost you in warranty repairs, and you've got to take that all into consideration to work out what you can sell it at and then still make money off it. Wow, okay. So can we see, can we identify, apart from the obvious products, anything at the moment that we can anticipate soon, like a planned obsolescence? Well, I think things, basically phones and laptops are a big one, um, which funny you should um, bring that up and cause me to talk about phones because uh, you also have another version of planned obsolescence called contrived durability. So this is the strategy of short. <laughs> it's it's the shortening of the product lifetime before you even release it onto the market by designing it to to deteriorate um, quickly, so that you know you might buy another one. So there's a um, an issue with uh, Samsung phones, uh, the S the S twenty, the ribbon cable um, on the screen um, is of. You know, uh, I wasn't say dubious quality, but it's not as good as it could be. So that can cause um, screen faults where the whole uh, LCD displays nothing but white. Um, and then you might recall back in 2016, 
there was uh, Apple's Battery Gate, is what it was called. It's mm-hmm. when a software upgrade to the operating system, iOS, um, when phones upgraded to 10.1.1 or something like that, um, everyone was observing that their phones were going slower. Uh, okay. And the reason they did that was because well, Apple's intention, and they, they didn't, they went up front about this initially, but they were when confronted. The idea was to actually make the phones last a bit longer because if um, they also admitted to the batteries that were made at that time weren't of the best quality, so they're potentially prone to fail. So what they tried to do was uh, in a phone where the battery was not quite cutting the mustard, they would slow down. So if you were to do something on your phone that might require the CPU and the phone to work a bit harder, they were trying to avoid the phone from restarting or crashing because if the CPU tried to do something that required more energy and then the battery couldn't supply the energy, then your phone would start doing funky stuff and they didn't yeah. want that to happen. So um, it didn't actually work out in Apple's favor because um, over various fines and lawsuits, they ended up having to cough up over 600 million US dollars. Okay. Um, so, well, they're worth about 3 trillion. So, yeah. Yeah. So it, that's, that's probably pocket money for them. Um, could they use software to do that? Like if you're in a cloud yes. service, yes. is that how they did that? Do you, you load well, a bit of software on the phone and it just slows up? It was you an know. operating system update. So you chose to uh, inst- yeah. install the upgrade and so your phone installs it and so the new software can certainly, um, the operating system can query the battery to say what's your serial number, for example, and uh, Apple would be completely aware of the the model of the battery or even affected serial numbers. So they could, um, the phone could then uh, respond appropriately to what battery was in the phone. So th- there is that level of detail. Wow. Okay. Boy, they think of everything, don't they? They try everything once. Yeah, once. So there was there was quite a bit of a backlash uh, at that. So much so, I recall this being on Breakfast Radio some years ago. Oh, it must have been big then. Yeah. So, like, you know, when I talked about the Canon printer and um, it running out of ink, or the perception was that it was running out of ink, then, you know, if you've got a printer at home, that you go, well, gee, I only just bought a print ink cartridge last month or something, how come it's, it's claiming that it's nearly empty when I've hardly used the thing? You know, it just could be a function of time. What about um, getting those uh, cartridges refilled? That could also be an issue there, couldn't it? So you might be wasting your money getting a refill. Yeah. But, but of course, you've got printers now where um, I think uh, Epson have the EcoTank ones where you can visibly see the cartridges. Uh, EcoTank. Who came up with that? Eco tank, probably Epson's marketing team. You just see them around the tables, you know, shooting the breeze with it. Someone says Eco tank, yeah, yeah, that's the one. That's great. High fives. <laughs> Although probably they were doing it over a coffee at the local cafe. Yeah, or on Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, and then a whole lot of these um, um, emojis come up. You know, like you know, celebrate with stars flying out and things, exploding rainbows. Yeah, unicorns. exploding rainbows, unicorns. All right, is there anything else to um, 
talk about regards planned obsolescence. We've been through the categories of obsolescence. Any more? There's another one called we could look at software lockout. So software lockout is when all the software is prevented from working, um, even though it might technically still work, but it might not be economic deemed economical for it to continue to be allowed to work. Right. So the software could have some vulnerabilities in it. Euthanize the software. Euthanize the software. So if you've got, a say, a banking app and there's a security vulnerability in it, you don't want that old version to work. And that's when you um, force uh, the user to upgrade the the software to the new one if you want to keep using it, for example. Yeah, well, at least, okay, that's their choice if it's their app. You've just got to live with that. Yes, exactly. Um, but of course, you could you also have a problem if it's a uh, an application produced by a company that's no longer in business. And, oh yeah, I bet that's happened a few times. Yes, um, and also you just get software that a company has simply abandoned, and that's called abandonware. And it's like, well, we have no interest <laughs> in this product anymore we don't care about it uh we do however have this new one that we're quite happy to sell you yeah Aban abandonment abandonment obsolescence i think i like that one the most is that because it's the trickiest to say well yeah and also i, I visualize this sort of like this um uh, doomscape of broken and neglected software you know with a sort of like there was the surface of venus or something you know Yes, well, you could also like, uh, I think a really big one, you know, going back to uh, phones and computers is you can have hardware which is totally fine, nothing wrong with it, but because the manufacturer has decided to abandon it, then a perfectly good phone or laptop, um, which potentially has life in it, the manufacturer has given up on it. So if you've got something made by, you know, Apple or something that's running Microsoft Windows. Acer. Yeah, well, they come with Windows typically. They don't make Apple stuff, but... Um, well, I had an Acer laptop. I yeah. spilled coffee on it, not much, and it got in there. Computer still works because on the bench it can be turned on, but the keyboard's damaged. Yeah. No keyboards. Thirty-three years old, no, no, no keyboards, and maybe you'll get one out of China. Maybe. Well, and I wasn't yeah. happy about that. No, well, there you go. Planned obsolescence. You could, as a workaround, just buy an external USB keyboard. Yeah, but I couldn't. Once it turned off, I couldn't turn it on again. Oh, okay. Because the power thing is part of the keyboard. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I tried that while it was still running, but as soon as it turned off, that was it. Gone. That was, it, that was to the abandonment area right there. Yep. Um, there have been instances where Microsoft have decided to uh, not produce driver updates for hardware, and so it's no longer fit to run Windows um, you know, 10 or 8 or whatever, and then so that forces um, companies to have to go buy new hardware. And if you don't want to do that, then you don't have to. You simply abandon Windows altogether and just use Linux, and you won't have that problem. And that, that's covered in one of your episodes. So yep. we can talk about that. Any yep. other obsolescent categories? What about dead obsolescence? Is there, is there that? 
You mean obsolete because it's broken? Yeah, well, just, yeah. It can, well, it, yeah. I mean, things do break, obviously. That's, that's going to happen. But usually you've dropped it or spilled stuff on it like me. Yeah, that's uh, – actually, I recall a story of um, – and this is super naughty. Um, back in my teenage years, I met a guy who uh, caused their school to upgrade their computers because what he did – he and some others, they attached a nine volt battery to a keyboard connector and went around all the computers and plugged it into the keyboard ports, which blew up the keyboard controller and all the computers so they didn't work anymore. Oh, that's <laughs> that's a kind of terrorism in a way. Yeah, it, it, it is, just for the nine volt battery. Yeah, so easy to do. Okay, um, anything more to say about this? There's a few other um, variations of um, obsolescence, but they are they are the um, the big ones. I, I suppose you could also talk about um, the. Did I talk about prevention of repairs? I think I did, um, or did I? Prevention. I don't of think you did. So quickly, no, maybe yeah. that. Prevention of repairs is when you um, make something in such a way that when it requires maintenance, it's so expensive to do, it's not worth doing. So Apple have been criticized when they put um, pentalobe screws um, on phones. Pentalobe screws um, also get nicknames that are talk screws. They are the uh, screws that look like a five-pointed star. Oh, they need a little Allen key, do they? Uh, well, not an Allen key. Allen key is kind of uh, oh, no, the star hexagonal. One. I know, yeah, I know the star, the star one. one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, they get criticized for using things like that and – when they assemble phones to make them waterproof, you know, they they kind of glue it together. So if you need to service the phone, then it's expensive to do. You have to take it to a certified repairers. You can't really do it yourself. So um, you're trying to jam a, jam a screwdriver in there and wedge it apart. You got to destroy it probably. Yes. So, I mean, other countries have come up with the right to repair legislation, which naturally gets the opposition from four major industries. There's consumer technology, agriculture, Home appliances, medical equipment. Oh, medical equipment, yeah. Interestingly, the EU has uh, a few years ago now come up with legislation that says that if you wish to sell phones in the EU by 2026, they have to have removable batteries. Okay, well, that makes sense because that's the management of the disposal of them, right? You can just kind of have random lithium Batteries yeah. leaching into your local whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I recall I learned back in 2007 when I was in Japan that when you bought a phone, they didn't come with chargers because the, the thinking was that you probably already had a charger. So when you buy a phone, we won't give you a charger unless you want to buy one separately because we're assuming you've got one that still works. That's a hell of an assumption to make. But, I mean, if, if you needed another one, then you'd just get one. Yeah, but Okay. But 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 don't by default give you and um, sell you a new one when you may have one that still works and still does the job. Yeah. If you needed one, then sure you, you'd you'd get it as a separate accessory if you like. Yeah. Well, I'm expected they're always bundled in now. Not if you're in Japan. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they want to take all the copy, get rid of the copyright. So you know what's yeah. going on there. All right. This, this was 2007, though. Oh, yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Come a long way since then. Just a little. That that idea might be obsolescent now. It's Indeed. Uh, 
All right. Are we there? I think we're there. I just want to uh, finish off by saying thank you to everyone who provides feedback. And if there are things that you want me to cover, um, then please um, suggest it because otherwise I make stuff up um, as I go along and talk about stuff that I think might be useful for people to know about. But if there's other things that people are curious about, then then please uh, email or text in to say, hey, can you spend some time talking about X, Y, and Z? Um, so we can make this make the show uh, more pertinent to what's on people's minds rather than just whatever I feel like saying. All right, though, you've been pretty good so far. Um, one thing I noticed on one of the uh, social media posts for um, Tech Tuesday was about over 70 shares. I is also that, observed that. Is that good? Uh, tell me, that, that, that looks pretty good to me. Well, I'll tell you what, if anyone's trying to stroke my ego, they're doing the right thing. Okay. Well, it's good to know that we're in a in, in the upper level of that. That's great. Yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, I call this flying by the seat of my pants sometimes, but. Uh, <laughs> by the way, folks, we're both wearing Reality Check Radio hoodies. I think right they now. need to branch out and offer pajamas. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Land obsolescence would kick in very quickly for that one, I think. What? But but um which means the merch is available. I'm alluding to that. Yeah. All right, and Stephen. It's so comfortable to wear this hoodie that I've got on. It's so good. It's lightweight, but it feels warm when you stick it on. It's lightweight, but it's warm when you stick it on. <laughs> I can just hear the the cell job going there. No, they're they're actually quality. They're, they're good quality. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and and you know we're quality, so we've got to be wearing quality. Quality, exactly. All right, good to catch up again, Stephen. We'll talk again next Tuesday, Tech Tuesday at RCR. Sounds good. See you. Share it out. That's the thing. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.